O Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength, our Redeemer, and our Healer. Amen. I'm truly honored to be here with you today. I want to thank Professor David Bauer for inviting me. And I want to thank Professor Fred Long for his friendship, his kindness, and his energetic scholarship. I want to thank Professor Craig Keener for the courage and enthusiasm with which he dedicated himself to seek, find, and make available to others healing that occurs in our world today. And I want to thank Dr. Ben Witherington for his friendship and kindness and welcoming me here as well. Around a decade ago, my wife's mother, Lucille, who was then in her late 80s, fell in the bathroom, hit her head, and was taken to the hospital. During the previous decade, she had had some severe times, including a procedure to remove blockage from an artery, as well as severe colds that challenged her lungs. After each scary episode, however, she had recovered nicely, even though a number of times I developed specific plans for how my wife, Deanna, might fly to South Bend, or possibly Chicago, where she could be picked up and quickly taken to her mother's side in Elkhart, Indiana. When they took Lucille to the hospital the time she fell, the situation seemed truly, truly ominous. She became semi-conscious, had vivid hallucinations, and at times she seemed unclear exactly who we might be. Her children and their spouses traveled to her bedside from Nevada and Georgia and their relatives from nearby Illinois. Her obituary was updated and discussions took place concerning how to enact the plans expeditiously for her funeral. Then word came that the doctors had discovered that her sodium and potassium levels were extremely low, enough to cause unusual effects in her body and mind. They began to administer sodium and potassium intravenously, and the next morning she woke up clear, puzzled why she was in the hospital, surprised that all of us were there, and wondering when she could go home. We were totally amazed and relieved. Her children and their spouses returned to their home states, And within a couple of days, Lucille was back home, the small cut on her head was healing, and she was chipper as she could be on the phone. After this event, I began to say that Lucille had nine lives, and no one in the family disagreed with me. About four years later, when Lucille was in her early 90s, we had arranged at her request for her to have an electric wheelchair so that she could quickly get around the nursing home to which she had been moved. 
one morning when a nurse accompanied her to the room where she would shampoo her hair, the nurse suddenly remembered that she'd forgotten to bring the shampoo. When the nurse went to get the shampoo, Lucille saw the scale in the room where they regularly weighed her, and she decided she would weigh herself. As she was getting up in the chair, the rope around her robe caught the little lever on the arm of the chair. The chair lurched forward, knocking her over into the wall and onto the floor. When the nurse came back, the wheels of the chair were spinning at a high rate of speed, knocking Lucille's shoulder and arm again and again into the wall. It was obvious that the bone above her elbow was significantly smashed, splintered, or broken, so they called the ambulance, took her to the hospital. They put a cast on her arm, told her she would always have a noticeable dent in her arm where the chair hit her continually against the wall. But all in all, they were encouraged that she had not broken a hip or had any other severe damage to her body. When I, my wife called her on the phone later in the evening and told her how sorry we were to hear about the episode, Lucille said, oh, I'm not too concerned. I heal quickly. We just shook our heads and smiled. In the reading from Isaiah 58 today, the prophet says, is not your fast to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. And in the reading from Luke 8, when Jesus said, someone touched me, stories we've already heard today, the woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years fell down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus and how she immediately had been healed when she did so. Then later in the reading, Jesus goes to the house of the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, a leader of the synagogue and his wife, when Jesus took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up! Her spirit returned and she got up at once. The interweaving of the story of the woman with the hemorrhages and the young daughter is so intriguing because just when the woman began to suffer for 12 years, Jairus' wife gave birth to a baby daughter. So while the suffering woman was losing all of her money and possessions paying physicians, Jairus and his wife were enjoying the growth of their beautiful young child to maturity. But then, just at the moment the suffering woman was being immediately healed from her suffering, the 12-year-old daughter was dying. 
So while the woman was going away well and at peace with the world, a person from Jairus' house brought him news that his daughter was dead. And he should not trouble Jesus any longer. When Jesus heard what the man said to Jairus, he said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be healed. When they got to the house, people were weeping and wailing for the daughter. And when Jesus said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping, they laughed at him because they knew the girl was dead. Jesus' response was to go to the child, take her hand, and call out, Child, get up. Then it says that the spirit of the daughter returned. She got up at once, and Jesus directed them to give her something to eat. I wonder if you know what your situation was 12 years ago. Were you celebrating something good? Or was it a difficult time for you? I remember 2005 very well. As I entered January, my back was in severe pain and my right leg was turning blue for lack of circulation and I began to limp. The problem was that my insurance company would only pay for an x-ray and not an MRI until I had suffered for six weeks and then if I wasn't better, then they would approve it. And the x-ray showed there was nothing wrong with my spine. If after six weeks I was still suffering, they would pay for an MRI, which would give more detailed information about what might be wrong. Then the call came that my second mother was dying in Rochester, Minnesota. And I should come immediately. I had worked on the farm of this man and wife during the last part of my senior year in high school and all of the summers throughout college to help pay for college expenses. My parents had no money to help me with college expenses, so I was awakened at every morning at 4.30 a.m. to help milk 40 dairy cows. Then during the summers, I would drive to a construction job from 8 a.m. until 4.30 when I would return to the farm and help with the milking again. On Saturdays when I did not work on the construction job, I would help with cleaning the barns, cultivating the corn and beans, or baling hay till evening when I would once again help with milking the 40 cows. On Sundays, I would help with the milking in the morning, but usually Grandpa Stuart Limaster would come out from town and help with the milking in the evening so I could go and help lead youth fellowship and other Sunday evening activities. During this time, Ralph Limaster started calling me his oldest son. And his wife, Maxine, became my second mom. After I was out of seminary and ordained, I baptized a younger son they adopted, and I participated in weddings and anniversaries on a regular basis. On January 9th, 2005, I got a call from my second father that Maxine was dying in the Rochester, Minnesota hospital. 
and I should come as soon as possible. Now, since my real mom was in a nursing home in Minneapolis, and her birthday was January 12th, I flew quickly to Minneapolis, celebrated my mom's birthday with my sister and her husband, drove a rental car from Minneapolis to Rochester, and prayed with the family and helped to make plans until Maxine died early in the morning of January 13. A good start to the month of January 2005. All the time, the pain was getting more severe in my back and right leg. I drove back to Minneapolis, got an early flight back to Atlanta. My wife had made an appointment for me with the doctor. When the doctor saw my blue leg, found that I had no muscle strength in my right big toe, she quickly called the insurance company to get an MRI approved. It showed a severely pinched nerve in my spine that could be relieved with an operation on the disc that had ruptured. I was on the operating table within a few days. When I was nicely recovering three weeks later, the call came that my real mother was dying. I was able to go to her funeral in Iowa and preached the sermon at her funeral like I had for my father a decade earlier and for my grandfather on my mother's side two decades before. So I remember the beginning of 2005 very well, 12 years ago. Do you remember how 2005 was for you? But also by this time, our twin granddaughters were six years old. And that summer, we enjoyed a special time with them in Chicago. Just a few months ago, both of them started college. But then the stock market crash came in 2007. By all odds, I should have retired that year. But I was feeling healthy by then, and my wife agreed I should continue to teach if it seemed right for me. I upgraded my computer, learned the new digital software for the classroom at Emory University, and continued to teach and write and edit. Then came 2008. Barack Obama was elected president. Many of us celebrated. But others, including many of my relatives, were deeply distraught and began to suffer for eight years. Then 2016 came when Donald Trump was elected president. Many celebrated, while others of us became deeply distressed, hoping that by now we might have our first woman president. So here we are in 2017. Many are still deeply distressed and concerned, while many others are so excited to have a president who is truly changing things. During the last month, our nation has been suffering raging wildfires in the western United States, and hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, and Mexico had the worst earthquake of the century, a magnitude of 8.1, followed by another of 7.1 magnitude. 
Do we need a better list for earthquakes and things than what we find in Mark 13 or so? Then Kim Jong-un in North Korea continues to test interballistic missiles and high-magnitude bombs with the purpose of fine-tuning them so he could reliably send some missiles with warheads to targets against us here in the United States. And then last Saturday evening, a gunman killed 58 people and then himself and wounded more than 500 people while they were watching a country music festival in Las Vegas. I wrote this sermon, I had it done like a week and a half ago, and I've had to just keep adding and adding and adding. <laughs> this world we live in. So, are you feeling joyful today? And regularly feeling joyful? Or are you suffering? Do you consider yourself regularly to be joyful in the midst of suffering these days? Or do you consider yourself regularly to be suffering with only moments of joy here and there? It seemed like the United States government might be financially shut down at the time I gave this sermon. But Hurricanes Harvey and Irma healed this catastrophe quickly when President Trump made a deal with Chuck and Nancy. But the threat of a government shutdown may emerge again in December of this year. Then the outline of a tax reform bill was presented by the President to the Congress. Would this create greater suffering? Or would certain kinds of healing occur if we had tax reform. Then Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, and threats to the status of non-citizens in America seem to arise anew every other day. Will greater suffering occur in the area of health care, or will some kinds of healing occur? Or will there be a mixture of suffering and healing that continues all of the lives, all the years of our lives on this earth. Perhaps so. During the summer of 2016, Lucille passed away. She wanted us all to gather for her 99th birthday in March, which we did. She knew then that she would not make it to 100, but that was all right. She was all right with that. She'd had a wonderful life, and we thoroughly agreed. We miss her, but we celebrate her life and the many times she healed so quickly. Indeed, on her 99th birthday, she showed us her arm where the wheelchair had continually slammed her against the wall, and there was no dent in her arm at all. It had completely filled up the hole and healed. And she said it never caused her pain after it healed. The scripture reading from Isaiah refers to healing that springs up quickly. The reading in Luke refers to two instances when healing occurred immediately. Many in our nation, as well as around the world, are suffering 
in anguish, distress, fear, hunger, illness, destruction, and death as we gather today, this morning, here. Others are experiencing hope or even celebrating things that are happening. Will preferential quick healing of some bring distress, sadness, and suffering mixed with anger to others because they were treated preferentially? Or is there some possibility that through some set of remarkable circumstances, there might be significant healing of certain groups quite quickly? On September 3rd, there was a headline from Associated Press entitled, Teens Bar Mitzvah Gives Houston Chance to Commiserate and Heal. The article said, it wasn't a typical bar mitzvah, but then nothing has been typical in Houston since Harvey came ashore as a powerful hurricane and left whole sections of the city underwater, including its predominantly Jewish neighborhood in the suburb of Bel Air. Rabbi Scott Hausman Weiss opened Saturday's ceremony ushering 13-year-old Doran Evan Eustein into manhood by pointing out the importance of coming together as a congregation and a broader community during such times of hardship. We have an obligation, he said, to celebrate, nonetheless, because we're alive and have what is most important, ourselves, our families, and this great opportunity to be together. It does seem clear that suffering and celebration regularly occur alongside one another in God's world. Should we pray that wherever possible, healing will occur quickly? And should we dedicate our lives to helping quick healing occur as often as possible and in as many places as possible? And what should we do when we see that healing quickly does not come to all? Should we commit ourselves nevertheless to support quick healing wherever and whenever we can? My prayer is that healing may steadily come to our nation and to our world. I also pray that some healing may come quickly to individual people, their families, and their communities. Will you join me in this prayer and this hope? And will you dedicate yourself to action to make quick healing happen wherever and whenever it can? If so, let us say together, Amen.